Yeah, and honestly, I don't know that I'll make this beer again. Um, <laughs> Boo. Be- yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But it's so scary. Yeah, oh, it's so scary. Dude, I thought you were crazy when I heard this. I, I am <laughs> a little crazy, to be honest with you. Like, I can't believe that we did this. But you got to be a little crazy to start a brewery. <laughs> Stumbled on into the Tap Takeover podcast. Something special happens when the fusing of sweet wort, oak, and microcultures come together in a symphony of taste and smell. The barrel aging of beers is reaching a zenith not seen since the days of yore when it was the only vessel used to store these wonderful malted beverage. Kyle Vetter and his wife Stephanie founded 1840 Brewing to push barrel age into new heights. And Kyle joins us today to talk about all things beer and wood. (laughs) 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 So thanks for joining us today, Kyle. Thank you so much for having me. That's that's my most solid intro I've ever done. We're going to insert the zipper some... A few things that we've always uh, kind of focused the uh, the podcast on are experimental brewing and making our way to sour Jesus, as we like to say. And uh, I think you're the perfect brewer uh, to kind of do both of those things, to talk about some of the experimental brewing that you guys are doing with, with the wart and, uh, and the wood and, <laughs> and, all, and all that good stuff. And then uh, also uh, talk about uh, some of the sour beers. And I'll tell you what, let's start with this uh, the very first one that we have here. Sounds good. Uh, so that's Beer Devin. Uh, it's a wine-beer hybrid. It's my first time dabbling in the wine beer category and it's something I've always wanted to do but never had any experience with so it's just a total experiment uh, you know we set out to meld wort and wood and make it something pleasurable <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna keep I that see, going I sense a running joke <laughs> <laughs> um, no but uh, but it, it was just a fun beer to make it took me a long time it was a total roll of the dice it was just a guesswork you know educated guess on I, I think that we're gonna use this yeast and that's gonna work out and we're gonna Hopefully we're going to be able to get the grapes that I want to get and things like that. And uh, it just kind of all came together over the months to, to be something that we're really proud of. So how did you know when it was ready to uh, finally start to bottle? We t- it, you got to taste through it. Um, it's, it's a couple of things. So this went through a secondary fermentation in the tank when we added the grapes to it. And so we had to wait for the gravity to be stable because essentially we, we made wine inside of beer by letting the grapes naturally ferment inside of, the, inside of the tank. And so we had to have a stable gravity so that we knew that it was all the fermentation was done. And then we had to um, just make sure that it tasted the way we wanted it to taste. I try not to taste stuff too often. Believe me, it's hard. You want to, you know, I want to see how it's progressing every day. But we've kind of got a protocol in here where we don't taste things more than about once a month. If it's a stable gravity for 60 days, then we know that we've hit it, and then we can, you know, move forward with packaging. All right. Well, let's let's start from the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about your home brewing background? Because you're from the area, but kind of tell us how you got involved. What sure. what beers inspired you? Uh, well, I mean, I grew up in Mequon, and you know. Brew City, so so beer has always been um, you know something that's familiar to me, but I never really drank a whole lot of different varying styles. I mean, I think the most exotic beer I drank before I went to college was like Lionese Doppelbach or like <laughs> Sprecher Black Bavarian or something like that. You know what I mean? But we just didn't have a whole lot of options. But when I went to college, I was in Colorado, and the early two th- late '90s, early 2000s, the craft beer scene was already taking off. And I had the um, pleasure of, of going to school in a town that, at the time, had the m- most breweries per capita of any other town in the state. And so that was awesome. I mean, because we had it was now part of the experimentation and the flavor varieties. I mean, there was two whole doors of craft beer at the time. I think they were just microbrews, <laughs> right? But there was two whole doors in my local liquor store. And it was amazing. Much to my mother's chagrin, when I got my fake ID taken away, uh, <laughs> I figured I better learn how to make this stuff because I'm really enjoying <laughs> drinking it. And um, so we, thankfully, my first batch of homebrew turned out really well. Oh, and, uh, what was it? Uh, it was a, like a brown ale, you know, it was a kit, <laughs> but it tasted good. I think it was a nut brown, um, but it tasted good. And we were like, this was fun. We had a good time doing it. So we, we kept doing it. And then um, I ended up getting a job at my favorite brewery in town, which is Scott Brewing, who now, if you're a beer person, pretty much you, you've heard of them. God into packaging there and so it was like bottom of the totem pole just learning how to fill containers and move beer and carbonate beer I was doing a little cellaring as well and then came back to Wisconsin uh, for five years and 
did some other career pursuits. And then we, my wife and I just were ready to get back to the mountains. So we quit our jobs, sold our house, or rented our house out, moved back to Colorado. And that's where I was lucky enough to reconnect with someone I'd known from previous in my brewing and was able to get a job through that connection um, at Aspen Brewing Company. At a time when Aspen was doing, I think we were doing 1,200 barrels a year my first year. And by the time I left, uh, we were at almost 7,000. Um, and so it was a really awesome experience to learn growth and canning and some barrels. We just did a ton of stuff. We installed tanks several times while I was there. And, you know, it's just a really awesome experience. But it led me to believe that I wanted to focus on this type of stuff. Um, I kind of w- wanted to do, you know, really, I think the pivotal moment, like the, the time that I decided this is what we were going to do, is I was on my way home from work and my back had seized up so bad uh, from all this, you know, lifting of grain and just the manual labor. And I called my wife. I'm like, I'm not good. Like, please start a bath for me. Like, I, you make it hot, you know, I, I don't know what to do, I can barely drive. And so I got home, and she, like, had a bath ready, and I'm in, I'm in um, the bath, and I'm reading about Side Project. I'm looking at all their beers, and I'm totally inspired by everything that they were doing. And I was like, how cool is that, that they could do this inside of Perennial? Like, that's, I wonder if Duncan will let me do that at Aspen. And so I approached him about it, and he was like, you know, I, I totally dig that you want to do this, but I really want to focus on these couple aspects of my business, getting my cans to the far reaches of the earth and, and things like that. And, you know, small batch, one-off type beers really didn't fit into his brand. All of our bottles were screen printed and you have to order those in bulk and things like that. So it's just, it just wasn't the right fit for us. And so at that time, that's when we decided, well, let's just start exploring the idea of doing this ourselves. You mentioned Ska Brewing. A friend of the show, Brad Stillmank, yeah. uh, also used to work at Ska. Uh, if you want to go back to episode 12 of the Tap Takeover podcast and give that a listen, it's a, a real fun interview. Uh, so did you and uh, Brad ever cross paths at, at Ska Brewing? We did. He did my interview and was the one who hired me at Ska. So I went to a job fair at my college and they were there. And we, we went to the fair because we knew Ska was going to be there. Nice. And that's when we set up our interview. And when I showed up, it was Brad who, who gave me my interview and ended up hiring me. So yeah, it's awesome. And I've yeah, since when I was living back here, uh, my, other, one of my other career that I had for a little while was real estate, and I had to take some classes up in Green Bay, and I stayed at Brad and Aaron's house. Oh, and, nice. Um, yeah, and I regret, regrettably have not been up to Stillmank since I moved back in August, but um, a, a trip is on the horizon. I'm, I'm itching to get up there. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, they called me over Christmas when they were in town. They're like, we're in town! But, uh, but it was Christmas Eve, and I was busy, so it didn't work out. So that brings us back to you opening up 1840 here. Yeah. Um, how did that all come about? What was your inspiration? Did you just want to come home and open up a brewery in your hometown? It was, yeah. I mean, it wasn't as much as like a desire to come home. It was like, this is, it was the market, really. You know, it was like, we want to do this type of beer and no one is doing this in Milwaukee. And Milwaukee is a great beer town. And the other thing was too, is we were living in the Aspen area. So it's a 50 mile stretch of river basically with a couple different towns and no more than 50,000 full-time residents. And I think now there's eight breweries in that little area. And those are all my friends, you know, and I didn't want to be the guy who left his brewing job to open a brewery next door um, (laughs) and compete with all, all my close friends. You know, those are just uh, still great people, you know, super close um, friends of ours, and we stay in touch with all of them. So <clears throat> it was that factor, and it was the factor that you know, no one was doing this here, and we really just wanted to bring what we had learned in Colorado in a, in a state that's 10 years ahead of Wisconsin as far as craft beer goes, and just bring that back here and show people some of this cool stuff that we learned that, you know, that really wasn't happening yet. So where did the name 1840 come from? Uh, that's naming stuff in beer is hard because there's so many dang breweries now um, and so we had to think you know long and hard and brainstorm with everybody we knew about coming up with it and so finally one day I was just like I'm just going to do all the research I can on the history of beer in, in Milwaukee specifically and maybe I'm going to come away with some little word or tidbit or you know, whatever and um, I just thought it was really neat because when I found the first brewery opened in 1840 uh, I then later found that potentially up to four breweries may have opened that year. And that was six years before Milwaukee was even a city. Um, and I was like, all right, well, that's, that's a really cool moment in time. And that's when Milwaukee became a beer city. And uh, we want to be part of bringing it back to being a competitive beer city. And so that's why we decided that that was going to be our name. Wow, yeah, that's, that's really cool because back then some of the first breweries were actually producing replicating styles from the homeland, the yeah. Weiss beers. And I believe one of the first breweries were actually opened by some Welshmen who wanted to brew some English-style beers. So you've already had an English porter, but 
any thoughts of actually replicating or duplicating some of those original beers because those were stored in oak barrels at the time well and that was the the other reason that the name really clicked and made sense for us is because picking an older name when 100 percent of the beer being made was sold in casks kind of calls to mind the work that we do here we do a lot more old world type techniques the most automated thing i have in this brewery is a pump you know that was that was another factor in the name as far as what beers we want to make i would love to make some historic styles we're gonna have to we're limited in the amount of clean beers that we can make right now just because of tank capacity so we really got to focus on the sour and the wild because that's where i have room to grow right now Um, i can i've got room you know for probably 150 200 oak barrels in here Um, and we've only got about 45 going right now so we've got a lot of opportunity to grow that part of our program Um, until we get more tanks we can't really get into lagers or anything like that which i would love to do i love those styles um, but it's just just not the timing for us yet for our listeners who can't see what Kyle's pointing towards, we have a very beautiful tap room here. A lot of reclaimed wood, and and then you also have the barrels uh, right in the tap room, which mm-hmm. is a really kind of a cool uh, kind of a cool setup. You know, for our listeners who can hear it, uh, there's going to be a little bit of brewery sound. This is an active brewery, uh, so you're going to hear some of that going on. But yeah, d- uh, just tell us a little bit about the tap room. What uh, what this means to you guys? We wanted it to feel like you're just hanging out in the cellar. And so we wanted as little separation as we could have between the barrels and the public. Um, so we, we, ma- we maxed out the tap room as far as square footage, what the city would allow us to have um, based on fire code. Um, and then put the barrels all the way up to the edge of that um, to really try to make it feel like, you know, you're just kind of hanging out in the cellar. That was super important to us. And we're sitting here at our bar, which has got family style seating, um, which was Another thing that was really neat, we were, we were out drinking at a bar when we were planning the brewery, and naturally, two of the people we were with just kind of wrapped around the bar so we could talk back and forth, and we thought it was a really cool experience and wanted to incorporate that into 1840, because for Stephanie and I, community is super important. The beer community is amazing. It brings Beer brings people together inherently, and that's something that we just we love about the fact that we own a brewery is like, Stephanie jokes like, yeah, I said that we could move back to Wisconsin and you could open a brewery because I knew that we'd have a lot of friends (laughs) because we make beer, people are going to (laughs) come. One question that we love to ask all of the brewers that come on the Tap Takeover podcast is if you could uh, take over the taps at the Tap Takeover podcast and kind of use those taps to tell the story of your brewery, uh, which which beers would you uh, would you choose? Well, I've got a couple lined up here for you guys that we're going to drink uh, throughout the, the episode here. And what we started with is um, Rickety Elevator. This is a collaboration, a three-way collaboration between myself, the Crafter Space, and Company Brewing. Have you guys heard of the Crafter Space? Yes. Uh, yeah, so uh, that was actually one of the things I really want to kind of touch on later yeah. in this episode, but well, let's talk about it now. Yeah. So Crafter Space is a really unusual program. For sure. It's hard to really put a name on it because we, we're homeless right now. We don't have a <laughs> physical location, but we are a business and we're education focused. Um, but you can finish your question. I did interrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the Crafter Space is a very interesting organization. I'm not aware of any other organization like in, in the U.S., at, at least at this point. And it's something that really helps upcoming brewers go through the whole process of starting up their brewers, their breweries. Uh, tell us, how did you get involved with it, and what was the goal of the Crafter Space? Um, so John Graham uh, is one of the founders, and he and I have known each other since we were four, I think. And so uh, one time... They announced that the Crafter Space was coming. I saw some social media on it, and I was back in town from Colorado over over the holidays, and I was like, John, let's get a beer. Let's get some dinner. So we went out, and we talked, and I was like, tell me about what you're doing. What is the Crafter Space? What are your goals? This is years ago now. I was like, you know, I'd really like to get involved with this. I think I can be a help to you guys because the other partner, Mike, so John is a business guy. Michael is a marketing and business guy, Michael Anderson. They had this dream to educate people about beer and make Milwaukee a better beer city. Uh, that was the, the initial focus is we're behind. We've been to all these cool cities that are really developed and it's an amazing thing. How do we get Milwaukee back to that? And that was the initial question that spurred everything. And But what I realized is, well, they were both passionate and enthusiastic about beer they really didn't know much about beer like how do you teach people something that you're not an expert in and I was like let me be the beer expert for your group and so that's how it started and uh, the, the eventual you know so it's it started with classes and we still do uh, classes on IPAs or sours you know tasting type things or we do tours of other places um, but then the program you mentioned is barley to barrel it's a 10-week brewery incubator program where we teach aspiring brewmasters what it takes to start a brewery everything from business planning to recipe development uh, then they get to brew a beer on a commercial system 
and release it into the marketplace on behalf of that brewery. So one of the first beers in the first class was Ricky the Elevator. It was a Cezanne that the students came up with, at com- and they brewed it at Company Brewing uh, with the help of their brewers, and George um, helped them design the recipe, and then they brewed it. It was really fun for them. And I loved it. I was like, I love Saison's. It's one of my favorite styles. Um, so when 1840 was about to come online, I contacted George, and I was like, I want to bring this all full circle. I would like you to brew Rickety Elevator. This is now like a, two, a year and a half, two years later. Rebrew it. I'm going to take it and barrel ferment it. And when my version is ready, rebrew it again so we can have the clean version and the wild version side by side. And uh, we did that. And we had a tapping last fall. And it was, it was just so much fun to, because I've been working with those guys on the craft receipts for a couple of years. 1840's been in planning for a couple of years, and it just bring that all full circle and see the Crafter Space logo on a bottle alongside mine was, was really neat. So uh, that's why I wanted to start with this beer um, for us to drink because it it brings together so many aspects of the, the work that I've been doing over the last couple of years, um, but it also is everything that I look for in a Saison, in a, in a wild barrel fermented beer. It's, it's balanced different as you drink it as it warms as it washes over your tongue there's so many flavors here there's a a bright mild acidity there's a nice barnyard type funk but they all meld together super well to be a a really interesting uh, beverage and so that's why i wanted to start with this to give you guys an example of um you know kind of what our goals are when we design beers yeah andy you're a you're a big uh saison fan what's uh, what are you getting out of this one you get what you just described. I like the farmhouse flavors and how they all meld together as one, and you're getting that funk a little bit on the back end, but it's a seamless transition, and one doesn't stand out more than the other one. Yeah, you gotta. Have, I mean, this is a Brett beer. That's what I call it, Brett Saison. So you gotta have that Brett character. But what's cool is a mixed culture beer. So there's some of that nice bright acidity, but nothing's overpowering. It, it turned out super well, and it was fun because I got the the, the yeast uh, blend in here is actually a blend of yeast from the Yeast Bay which is a lab that's now San Diego-based, but Nick, who owns that, is a Milwaukee kid. And so it was just another cool cool way for us to work with someone who, who is from here. I actually know that guy. In Pelletier? Yeah, in Pelletier. Yeah, yeah, that's the guy who we were talking about. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. So do you uh, source your yeast from... Uh, outside companies or are you doing any in-house propagation? So a little bit of both. We usually start with a wild yeast. Uh, I mean, excuse me, we usually start with a lab culture, but we have used some wild yeast. Actually, the next beer, I'll just go ahead and start opening if you guys yeah, don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Is the hydrator. And what's cool about this one, this is a house, our house sour culture. And our house sour culture I developed, we have a, a 600 liter punch in back there we call the Mothership. It's uh, the biggest oak barrel we've got in the room. And um, we have put basically almost every yeast and bacteria that I've used in the brewery so far in that thing. Um, also, all the dregs from all the sweet bottles that people shared with me when we were opening all went in there. And so there's Cantillon dregs, there's Oso dregs, Casey dregs. You know, we if it was a good bottle, it went in. And so now we yes, exactly. And so now we've created this really cool culture that's quick to sour and really tasty but not like overly acidic and so for this beer the hydrator we filled two oak barrels we filled a bunch of barrels but we knew we dedicated two to this project and one of them got our house sour culture and the other one got a wild yeast cultivated uh, from a friend of ours uh, Rob Gustafson he took a peach from Wisconsin just two miles down the road and it's a peach in Wisconsin. It wasn't a very big fruit. Uh, but it, the tree did bear fruit, and he just dropped it in some wort, and it started to ferment. And so then he plated it and cultured up the, the yeast from there and had been keeping that culture. And he's had been super great to help us out bottling and selling beers on our release days and stuff. And so we were just bottling one day, and he's talking to me about this culture he has. I'm like, well, can I have it? Like, can I, can I use it for a beer? And he's like, of course. So the next week, I was like, I'm brewing next week. So he, br- he propped it up and brought it by. So one barrel got his yeast, which was wild caught from two miles down the road. One barrel got the mixed culture from the mothership, and we blended them back together to make this really awesome Amber Saison, this ruby creation. As we pass this bottle around, I guess I want to know, what's your kind of end game as far as, like, the t- different types of beer that you make? Will someone come in here and always have, like, you know, your four or five beers always available? Uh, no. Okay, so, so maybe someday, but not for the not for the near term. Basically, our our goal in starting off was to just really experiment and learn, get our legs under us, learn what I like to do, what I like about 
yeast and what we, you know, our processes and what barrels we like and all these things. Because while I have done barrel aging and barrel fermenting when I was at Aspen, I didn't do a whole lot of it. I think the most barrels we ever had at one time was 16. Um, and so it was always just kind of side work that we did, got to do every once in a while. Um, and so I wanted to use the first period of time here to just kind of learn and experiment. And so as a result, we're really just making a lot of new things. Um, since August, we've released roughly 20 different products. Whoa. We're going to remake the winners, but right, I mean, it takes me so long to make these beers that I, I don't know when that's going to be. So with the cork and the cap, are you bottle, bottle conditioning too for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So all of our, um, all of our barrel stuff is bottle condition. So that's why we've got the cork in there. I wanted it to look like a beer, so we ended up putting the cap on it rather than do a cork and cage. The other nice part about that is I didn't have to buy a air compressor or a $15,000 <laughs> cork and cage machine, uh, which I had originally had in my business plan. So, but I, but I also just liked the, I wanted it to look like a beer. I picked a champagne bottle. I wanted, I, I wanted a unique package. And so I was like, man, if I have a champagne bottle with a cork and cage, it's going to look like champagne. It might confuse people if my beers, if I grow enough to ever get my beers on the shelves <laughs> uh, anywhere other than here. But yeah, so we bottle condition. We lay the beers on their side for that conditioning phase, which is, um, we found really, really beneficial to the yeast. Yes, and, and you absolutely have a, a very distinctive look to all of your bottles, including the IPAs. The yes. IPAs are in a different sort of a sort of a bottle than you would normally find them in. Uh, what is there a name for that type of bottle? It's called the hipster bottle. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of funny because it's like different and but familiar. I don't know, kind of like hipsters are. I don't know how to describe a hipster well, but um, I feel like if the bottle could wear tight jeans and flannel, it would. <laughs> right, a fixed gear, right? Yeah, yeah it totally was. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's got a monocle. It's, yeah. yeah. So, um, but no, it's cool. I mean, again, it was like, all right, I need a smaller format because the first beer we put in those bottles was uh, Neon Nights, which is um, another English porter. Um, same base beer, actually. But it was 11%, and I didn't really mm-hmm. want to sell people a 750 of an 11% beer because then it's like, when do you have the time to drink that? Yeah. You have to wait for the right time when you've got people around or whatever, or you're going to, I mean, just sit, couch lock situation, sure. which is fine in its own right. But I wanted people to have the ability to just open it and have it and feel more comfortable with that. And so that's when we started looking for the, uh, the 750 or the 500 milliliter, and we found the hipster. And we were really happy with it. It's a neat bottle. Look, I think probably they use like for kombucha or something oh, you know if you can that. imagine what a kombucha <laughs> bottle would look like that's kind of what it looks like I, I like your use a lot better yeah <laughs> me too kombucha is fine but beer is better so uh, so we've put uh, two beers on the taps uh, can you pick a couple blasts from the past that uh, you'd also like to take over those taps with oh absolutely the best ipa we've ever made is the cashmere sweater um that was a single hop beer made exclusively with cashmere hops grown in michigan and it is the juiciest top i've ever worked with and we did it in the traditional New England style. So, you know, the water is has been adjusted and um, to, to give it a nice soft mouthfeel. The mash profile, every, everything is designed to make that beer just soft and bright and easy to drink. And it's a super cool beer, and we will we will definitely make a lot more of it. I want to talk a little bit more about just the branding here. Um, sure. Because when you walk into this um, into the brewery, you'll see your bottles are on display, and that's kind of the art. Kind of becomes that really classic, really like elegant. I guess kind of tell us about a little bit about that. Sure. So we knew the the feel that we wanted the brand to have, but I'm a brewer and my wife's a teacher. We didn't, you know, this was not our wheelhouse. So like, <laughs> the idea I originally sent to the marketing team was super lame. Um, compared to this and so but we engaged RevPop who's a local marketing firm here Uh, we try to use as many local suppliers of everything as we can again it's about community for us and so if we can use somebody who's local that's super important Um, and so we've we've done that at every turn and so we use RevPop here in town and they just did a fantastic job of walking through this process with us of kind of creating the ethos of the brand and I gave them a daunting task I said all right my brand is a number good luck (laughs) oh and by the way I also want to be able to sell merchandise that isn't just a number so I don't know how you're gonna figure that out anyway they did a great job Um, we're really thrilled about it we get a lot of comments who does your branding (laughs) it's really nice yeah so let's get back to the hydrator yeah can you tell us a little bit about it sure saison yes it's an amber saison I kind of described how we fermented it but the result is super fruity I get a lot of like strawberry kind of cherry notes to it 
maybe that's just the color playing with the flavors <laughs> and your mind thinking that that's what it is. But um, it's got a nice acidity from our house sour culture and from that wild yeast. They both produce some acid, but it's it's not overbearing and it's it's juicy even though there's no fruit in here. Well, yeah, a lot of people are like, are you fruit, sure there's no yeah, fruit in here? Fruit, tart. Like, yeah, it does nice have there. the tartness yeah. as if there should be fruit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my, my tongue's looking for the fruit, but all it's finding is sour and it's very confused. Yeah, very yeah. Confused right that's now. good. I hate you for this. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but in the best way, in the best way. Just like the, uh, the beer Devine was just very confusing to the tongue. Is this wine? Is this beer? And that's kind of fun. Uh, some of the experimental flavors and styles that you guys are working with kind of breed some of that, that experimental flavors at the back end. Well, it really does. I mean, because we are a yeast-focused brewery and we can incorporate a lot more flavors into our beers than most brewers can because a lot of brewers work really, really hard to keep these yeast and bacteria out of their facility. And I'm like, let's bring them in. Let's play with them. You know, let's throw more at it and let's just get creative. Let's see what flavors we can push out from these bugs. Right, so let's you're, put you're, this as close to people as possible. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, Don't keep it away. Embrace it. Your whole business model as a whole is, is very creative because you're doing something different that nobody else around here is doing. You're actually not making any of your ward in-house. You're yeah. actually outsourcing all of it. Um, you have, what, four breweries you work with? Right, uh, I mean, I, we've worked with more, but for the most part, there's Third Space, Explorium, Company, Eagle, or excuse me, Enlightened, Eagle Park. I've worked with all of them. I, what I love about that is, A, it saved us a lot of money up front. You know, this is a very expensive way to make beer. I have to make a lot of it and let it sit there for a long time. I, I, would, I was like, I'd rather put my money into liquid than into stainless steel. And this model of purchasing the wort really allowed us to do that. So it's cool. It's my recipes, my ingredients. We just show up and they turn on their brew system and run it for us, hit our specs all the way along, and then we take the wort back here to ferment and turn it into beer. So how do you maintain uh, the quality? So are you very hands-on during the brewing process, even though they're doing the work? Are you, like, looking over their shoulder? and All right, is that hitting exact mash temp? <laughs> um, yeah, so yes at first, for sure. I mean, I um, am very involved the first time or two that I brew with somebody. Um, but after that, we de- develop a rapport. They know what I'm looking for. And so at the beginning of the day, we can say, okay, this is the pH we're looking for. This is the temp and how long. And yes, add this addition or don't add that or whatever. Yes, I need yeast nutrient or oxygenate the wort to this. And we, we talk about all of those things that are the technical aspects of the whole process so that I know I'm comfortable with, with that. And so now actually, especially with the brewers, I've worked with a bunch. We go, we help them mash in in the morning because that's like one of the more labor intensive parts. And then we'll leave and we'll come back to 1840 and we'll do all of our prepping of our totes and prepping of the barrels. We'll do that in the middle of that day. Where when we first started, we had to have that all done before we went to brew because we were there all day. And so I'm liking it like this a little bit more because it's just making for, for more normal of a day. Us. So, so what, is, what does that look like? Are all the barrels transported over there to be filled, or you just transport the liquid over? When when we're done, and you guys can peek in the back, we've got these um, IBC totes. They're called intermediate bulk containers. What IBC stands for, but they're just these. Uh, food grade plastic cubes that are wrapped in a cage and you've probably seen them driving down the highway in a farmer's truck or something full of water and they're used for a lot of different things but uh, that's how we transport the wort. so we clean and sanitize them just like we clean and sanitize our stainless steel tanks and then drive them over to the brewer fill them drive them back here and we pump the wort into the building and then fill the barrels and add yeast so have you ever had any calls while you're here prepping going uh kyle we we, we have a problem. Yeah, I mean, that's brewing, though. You know, uh, thing, things happen, and you have to roll with it, which is cool because that's, I mean, I, that's how I live my life, too. You know, a lot of people who are around me, I'm sure, have a challenge with that because I change plans a lot uh, at the last minute, or, um, you know, because we just, with beer, you just have to roll with it and listen to the beer. It sounds super cheesy, but you, you, you do, especially in the type of beer we're making. Like, when I brew a beer, I don't, I don't say, okay, we brewed this today, and it's going to be sold on this date. Like, that's not a decision that I get to make. Um, it's ready when it's ready, you know, so we just have to give it everything it needs and then track the progress and and know when to pull it to package. All right, well, I think we're going to take a little break right now, and we'll uh, check out some beer news and be right back with Kyle for some more uh, Tap Tigger Podcast. We'll be right back. All 
right, coming in hot from that original Madden theme music, we're going to be talking about some football. For all of our loyal listeners who have uh, been clamoring to meet the Tap Takeover podcast crew, we're going to be in Green Bay on April 26th for a very special event with our friends of the show, Badger State Brewing. We're going to be doing an NFL draft party. Everybody knows the NFL draft starts on Thursday nights nowadays, and we're going to be there for the first round. Packers got a great pick this year, and we're going to be doing it for charity. Jesus, tell us about some of those charities. Yeah, actually two great charities, Family Services of Northeast Wisconsin and Happily Ever After Animal Sanctuary. Jim, uh, tell the people how we got involved with Badger State on this. Located in the shadows of Lambeau Field, there's no better place for the NFL draft party than Badger State. So we go up to the draft every year in Green Bay because we love the Packers and the NFL. We did interviews with Badger State, Stillmink, and Noble Roots, three really great craft beer breweries located in Green Bay. We reached out again to them this year saying, hey, let's get together. Let's have some fun. Andy, what can we expect to drink here at this great party? So for just $5, that gets you in the door and uh, you'll be able to bring two bottles from your cellar to share with everyone at your table. And there will be Solid Non Fail Stout on tap, the Tap Takeover podcast collaboration beer with Mobcraft. And there will be lots of fun games and stuff that is being raffled off from breweries such as Lakefront, Microphone, Prairie Artisan Ales, Good City. Check in with the Badger Stout events page on Facebook for all the details and pictures of all the beers that are being raffled off at the event. And make sure you join us on April 26th. All right, it's going to be a really fun event. Can't wait to see you guys out there. We're talking about the NFL draft on the big screens at Badger State in the shadow of Lambeau Field, like Jim said. It's going to be a really great event, and we can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the Milwaukee Beer Week edition of Beer News. This Beer Week Beer News this Beer Week Beer News will include the TTP's top picks of events, as well as where you can find some pretty limited tappings around Milwaukee. Milwaukee Beer Week runs from Saturday, April 14th through Sunday, April 22nd, so get out there and enjoy the festivities. The easily accessible Beer Week beer is Mystic Knot by Third Space. This beer was previously advertised as a limited release by Third Space, but it will be on tap at a ton of different bars and restaurants during Beer Week. Mystic Knot is brewed with lactose to enhance its creaminess. This stout is then aged in both whiskey and bourbon barrels for a total of 7 months before being finished with a 48-hour steep of Stone Creek Three Volcanoes coffee. If you haven't tried it, we recommend you do. Here are some great limited tappings happening throughout the week. Saturday, April 14th, the Rumpus Room will be tapping KBS and CBS from Founders at 11 a.m. Also on Saturday, Grant the Brewmaster from Three Sheeps will be pouring a limited supply of their barrel-aged Imperial Stout with maple syrup and cinnamon added at the brass tap. Also Saturday, Maddie's Bar and Grill in New Berlin will have the 2017 Darkness on tap. Maddie's will also have Heron, a special barrel-aged version of Central Waters Barley Wine, on Friday, 420. Now for the TTP's top picks for Milwaukee Beer Week events. The festivities begin on Sunday, April 15th at Serb Hall with Crafts and Drafts. VIP tickets to the event mean VIP pours from most breweries at this event, with highlights including Black Gold, Triple X Black Friday Vintage Reserve, Bourbon County Northwoods, and Wicked Weeds Medora Raspberry Sour. For an additional $10, you can also receive a one-ounce pour of Assassin. Afterwards, head over to Bernhardt's as they welcome Half Acre for a post-Crafts and Drafts party. Draft list hasn't been announced yet, but last year they brought Benthic and barrel-aged Big Hogs. Monday, April 16th, Brass Tap has the first tapping of Absolution from New Glarus. This will be the first time this Belgian dark ale is being tapped outside of the brewery. Strawberry Rhubarb will also be tapped at this event, as well as some other New Glarus favorites. Wednesday of Milwaukee Beer Week always means Central Waters at Bernhardt's. Join BJ, Anello, and Ryan for, in our opinion, the best event of Milwaukee Beer Week. Time tappings of Central Waters Anniversary Beer 20 and Black Gold will take place and will go quick, so make sure to dial in on the time for this. All the Brandyland beers, the Brewer's Reserve line, and, and even a barrel of their first hazy IPA, Unsettled, a.k.a. Anello Eats Crow, will be on tap. Make this event the highest priority for your beer week. Thursday the 19th, Draft and Vessel brings us a barrel-aged beer showcase. 
They will be showcasing the growing Milwaukee beer scene. With limited barrel-aged beers by Third Space, Good City, Milwaukee Brewing Company, Raised Grain, Sprecher, Black Husky, Lakefront, Mobcraft, Fermentorium, and The Explorium. This event starts at 6 p.m. and is sure to be the best event on Thursday. On Friday, 4:20, we are veering away from the Beachwood Distribution-sponsored Beer Week events to take a trip to Eagle Park. Though they cannot call this a Beer Week event, it will be the best thing happening on Friday. This 4:20 party is a joint release party that will feature two IPA releases in one venue as friends of the show Eagle Park and 1840s team up for a double release. Check out Eagle Park's new location and enjoy some great local non-distributed brews. On Saturday. April 21st, join the Shepherd Express and Tap Takeover podcast as we celebrate all things Wisconsin. Enjoy unlimited samples from the state's finest breweries, cheese artisans, sausage makers, local restaurants, distilleries, and wineries. At 3 p.m., make sure you're at the Mobcraft booth as we will be having a time tapping of our collaboration beer, Solid Non-Fail Stout. Rounding out this epic week on Saturday night, three sellers in the falls will celebrate their anniversary by tapping barrel-aged Big Uggs from Half Acre. And this has been Beer News. All right. Thanks, Andy, for another great edition of Beer News. I don't know how you do it every week. And we are back. We're going to crack open the next bottle here. And can you tell us what it is, Kyle? Absolutely. So this is Funky Doc Ray. Um, this is our collaboration with Mike Doble and Kyle and Keegan, the crew over at Explorium Brewing Company, our brew pub. This is a funny one because uh, Mike came up to me at a MCBL meeting, Milwaukee Craft Brewery League meeting. Hi, Mike. I own Explorium, and I want you to sour my Scotch Ale. (laughs) On the first date? Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, the first first thought in my mind was, yuck. (laughs) You know, like, that. I don't know that that sounds good. I was like, but here at 1840, we have uh, a couple of policies we've developed over the time that we've been open, and our number one policy is always say yes to cool shit. Um, And so I said yes. And then my job kicked in. It was like, how are we going to... Um, how are we going to make a beer in a barrel that's sour or wild or whatever um, with a scotch ale, which is a super malty beer? Um, and I, I was just like, well, we need to make sure, you know, we need to make sure we have a strain that pushes fruit flavors because I think, you know, as the wild yeast and bacteria, there's no bacteria in this one. It's just a Brett beer, a single strain of Brettanomyces. Um, but as the... Um, Brett goes and chews through all those sugars that normally would be making that beer malty, it leaves behind in its wake all these really neat esters and phenols. And um, so that's why I love this type of beer. And this one chewed up all that sugar and made a lot of really cool fruity flavors. So we'll pass this one around. You guys can taste it. But to me, it's um, a lot like strawberry fruit leather. There's a little bit of smokiness from, um, from it. Um, so instead of being like funky or barnyard character it, it added like a smoke and a fruitiness which really happy with um it turned out better than expected for our listeners who are curious you can go back to episode 38 and hear mike talk all about that same collaboration and how he was very excited because he doesn't have the capabilities of doing sours like yeah. you guys do uh, but he has always wanted his own sour beer so i'm sure he was very happy when you said yes oh absolutely i mean you could tell that he, like he he didn't waste any time. He's like, I would like to do this with you, you know. So you, you can tell this was a some a thought that he had had, and I was I was thrilled to be able to work with them because I uh, that's actually what kicked off a really great relationship uh, with that crew. And I brew there about once a month right now. Uh, we get a lot of our work from them, um, and it worked out great because they just they've got this big system. They've got 24 taps of their own beer, and so when they fill their taps up, they've got these gaps in time where they've got the ability to accommodate my schedule, and it's it's just been awesome. Oh, and you guys did a good job. This is yeah. It's coming off with just like that hint of smokiness that you would expect from a scotch, but then all that all that good funk is just, I don't know, it, it gives it a whole new life. Mm-hmm. This is a completely different beer than what we tasted when we were at the Explorium. Well, and what was fun about it, too, is that they had a barrel-aged version that was in bourbon barrels. They had an imperial version because this is this Scotch ale. Doc Ray is is like Mike's number one flagship. It's like his baby, and uh, they sell a lot of this beer. It's really really great, just the normal version. But then they had done all these other iterations of it, and so when mine came out, we were able to have all four of them side by side, and oh, that was cool. so much fun. Start with the base beer, then go to the imperial, then the bourbon aged version, and then the wild version, and it was it was just really neat. You know, it's such a rare thing to get the same beer four ways. Um, and so we had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, this really dries out. So we, I had the Doc Ray when we were at the Explorium, 
and the taste is now, and it's so much more drier. I don't want to say champagne-y, but I mean, it has that effervescence to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Say, say that word again, Jim. Effervescence. <laughs> effervescence. I'm pretty sure there's a V in there. Effervescence. Effervescence. <laughs> effervescence. Cold open? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's get back to your brewery. Let's talk a little bit about your unique hours. Sure. Tell us a little bit about that because it's you don't you're not op- open as much as you would think, you know. Yeah, I mean, or as much as we would like to be honest with you. I'd love to be open and have regular taproom hours and be open every day of the week or four or five days a week or something like that. But um, as I mentioned earlier, this is a very capital intensive way to make beer, and um, you know we wanted to kind of test the model a little bit before we really spent too much money um, on doing this and so now we're we're trying to make more beer so we can accommodate the demand um, but at first you know we made a certain amount we weren't sure if we were to sell it all or sell none of it you know and so um, we decided let's open up limited hours do kind of a special beer release thing because beer releases are something that beer people are used to uh, so let's focus our model around releases um, some people are doing this in the country um, and, you know, having great success with it. It's a great way to start. Not everybody can do it forever. And, you know, that's what we're experiencing right now uh, is we're going to have to change this model because um, while it's amazing that we have a line around the block before we open, um, it's, it's not the experience I want our customers to have um, every time, you know. And so we're, we're gonna, we, we need to try to figure out how to reduce the wait times and those types of things. But the challenge is, you know, what if we sell out of beer and then, oh, sorry, it's going to be in three weeks to five weeks before the next one's ready. That doesn't work. You know, you'll go under from that one mistake alone. And so we wanted to ease into our hours and that's why we created the release model. So, uh, and the VIP program, it's a, it's a dual prom thing. So it's always a release for everybody, but then the VIPs are kind of like our uh, crowdsource supporters who have their special session built around our release. So the release is always the second Saturday of the month, and then the VIPs are the Thursday, Friday, and Sunday surrounding that second Saturday. So with the business model you have, um, is it sustainable? I mean, if you are making a large amount of money on certain release dates, um, how sustainable is that as far as do you have to supplement your income any other ways? Uh, thankfully, no. Um, I mean, we're we're selling the beer, you know, um, so we're, we're, we're meeting our goals in that regard. Um, although, you know, I, I just, I'd like to make more, you know, and, and so that's really what we're focusing on right now is okay. because what's happening now is like, yeah, we're selling all the beer. And so we're making enough income to keep the business moving forward, which is, which is really what it's all about. We're, we're really just using all of our money to reinvest in the business and make more beer right now. Um, and you know, hopefully then, we're, we're open more because we've got more beer to sell. Um, but, but it's a challenge. I mean, it's, you know, there's, there were a couple months, especially in the beginning, where it was like, oh, God, like if this next release can't come soon enough. <laughs> you know? Well, you, you have to be constantly reinvesting in more barrels, yes. and eventually that'll probably become a space issue for you as well, right? We've got enough room for Oaken here to, to grow for a while. Uh, the challenge is really going to be at what point are we going to start overwhelming the partner brewers? Because in order to produce more beer, you need to brew more often, you know, or find people who have bigger brew systems. So it'd be really easy to just say, oh, well, I'll just always work with Third Space because now they have a 30-barrel system. Yeah, but Third Space is growing also, and, and they've got their own production schedule to keep up with. And so, you know, once a quarter, yeah, I can fit in it. I can fit in at Third Space, no problem. But can I do that once a month or twice a month or things like that. So, you know, down the road, uh, the plan is to was was to test the model without buying, investing in all the stainless, and then get to phase two where we actually bring brewing back in house and um, and take control of that and produce our own wort with, on our own system and things like that. We won't do that here. We'll we'll, uh, we'll need another building for that. So when you, when you do eventually get a brew house, are you still going to stick with strictly cast conditioned beer? Well, and we don't do strictly cast conditioned okay. beer now. You know, okay. we still make clean IPAs. We actually have uh, um, coming out this weekend is a super fruited uh, beer that we've got. It's um, kettle sour. You know, so it was a quick beer. It's got lactose in it and about a pound per gallon of fruit. Uh, just just insane amount of fruit. Um, you know, so we do some quick beers too. Um, but 
and 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 we want to make more of those. I want to get into loggers. I love loggers, and I would love to make them, but they take time. You know, mm-hmm. it takes four to six weeks at the minimum in in the tank and i just i can't tie a tank up that long so um we will definitely when we expand we're going to expand our offerings but always keep our main focus uh yeast driven creative products and um the best way to create those flavors from yeast is to put it in a barrel for a while and i One thing that we talk about on the podcast quite a bit is, uh, and, and one thing that's really interesting about your business model is the the audacity of barrel aging yeah. to take to take a product that you could sell right now and you know might be a lesser product but still good to take that product, put it on the shelf, put it in a barrel for you know who knows how long it's going to take for that product to to ripen to become you know its its best possible beer. And you guys have taken that even a step further. I mean, we're talking about breweries that uh, have regular lines and, and regular beers that they're also producing, and then they also have this audacity of barrel aging. You guys have taken that to the furthest extreme, and it's just the audacity. I mean, mm-hmm. to have those big brass balls to just say, we're going to throw <laughs> everything in barrels, and that's pretty much what you're going to get, with the exception of you know some IPAs and that here and there. Our, our hats are tipped to you, sir, Thank because you. That, is a, yeah, that, that is a hell of an undertaking well i think that we're able to take that risk and invest that money in beer that's just sitting there and paying rent and not doing anything for me um because we're doing something different and so we're we're getting people's attention and um and people are coming to buy our products and so it's, it's really touching um we the the feedback i mean granted we're always we're really happy with every beer that we've sold um and so that helps you know it um, but but the feedback, this scene, the people here in Milwaukee, the beer drinkers, they're they're so supportive of this, um, and they show up every time. And the people who show up are like, not just fans, they're raving fans. And it's just so touching to have our goal or dream of this brewery, which we knew was going to take some balls and be incredibly <laughs> risky, paying off day by day is is really cool. I think you're on the way to creating far more raving fans right now. Right on. Yeah, very <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. And, and I think Alex has also come up with your uh, next two beer names, uh, Audacity and Brass Balls. I love it. I love it. Well, you, you, need, you, need that, uh, you need all the inspiration you can get because naming beers is hard. Well, actually, speaking of beer names, how do you come up with all these as we go into the next one? Yes. Uh, so we, the, naming, the naming the beers is something that we dread and enjoy all at the same time because it's fun and we can do whatever we want but um we spend a lot of time on untapped every time we have an idea researching it to see if it already exists because i don't want to get a cease and desist from anybody um and you know I, if, it, if, if that's what it's called i want to bring that brand back someday i want it to be called that you know um but no all the all the names have some sort of a meaning um that either relates to the ingredient or the process or something like that so the cashmere sweater was made with cashmere hops the hydrator it was a wild yeast from our friend rob who when he volunteers during our releases is always offering all of our customers water (laughs) and so we call him the hydrator Uh, and he goes hey if they're not hydrated they can't they're not going to drink as much beer you know so um impatiently waiting was our first ipa and we made that because it was like man like we need something to drink while we wait for all this beer to be ready. So it was impatiently waiting. Um, you know, ole. That is uh, what my friends and I in high school would say after we took a beer bong. Ole! <laughs> uh, we named our beer bong Juan. It was a whole thing. So, yeah, all the names have a meaning. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily, like, spend a whole lot of time telling those story every time. Um, but, but anytime people ask, I've got an answer for it because... Um, you know, you got you got to get your inspiration from somewhere. When there's six thousand breweries naming beers every two weeks, you know, and that's the fun part about having a podcast is we can ask those questions and kind of share those stories with our listeners. Exactly, because, actually get the answer. Yeah, yeah. Inquiry minds want to know. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other one that's cool is Sumerian origin because that um, is a wheat ale, and the Sumerians were the first people, first civilization in Mesopotamia to cultivate and farm wheat, and so that's why we call it Sumerian. You know, so. There's a lot of thought that goes into the beers themselves and the names. I actually want to know about one we had today, Rickety Elevator. Mm-hmm. What is that? <laughs> That's because in company brewing, they have this 
really rickety elevator thing. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so when the Cracker Space students were in there, they drew inspiration from that, and they named their beer after it. And so you can't see it on our label, but the original label um, that was designed has like this, you know, pulley kind of rope that's pulling the elevator up, and the rickety elevator <laughs> words are in the middle of it. So it was that was the whole thing that they they developed. Tell us about Burnt. All right, and Burnt. This is one where <laughs> we, I was like, can we call it Get Burnt? Like, Get Turnt? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, my wife's like, that sounds so aggressive. Like, Get Burnt. And I was like, all right, you're right. Yep. <laughs> like, we're not trying to be mean to people. Um, but <laughs> I wanted to call it uh, Roast. But Roast is, I mean, it's already taken. You know, someone mm-hmm. put coffee and beer and all of a sudden roast is taken, you know. Um, and so we ended up on burnt because uh, w- what this is, is this is a reverse engineered bourbon barrel aged stout. And what I mean is it didn't actually spend any time in a bourbon barrel. It spent its entire fermentation on a bourbon barrel. Uh, as far as I know, there's only one other person or brewery in the country who's done this. I, I'm not positive, but... but um, what we did is we took a freshly dumped bourbon barrel and I actually, I called my, the barrel guy, um, and I bought a really nice, he's like, what grade of bourbon barrel do you want? And I was like, I want the nicest, freshest dump one you have. And so, and he's like, what are you going to do with it? I'm like, well, I'm going to take it back to 1840 and break it apart. He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, um, we took it and we um, steamed the exterior of all the staves and broke it apart. And it was so wet on the inside, it leaked bourbon everywhere, like black, <laughs> nice. you know, charred up bourbon. But we called it burnt because the inside of a bourbon barrel is burnt to char level. And so we wanted to kind of, and then we also put um, cold brew coffee and a cacao nib tea, all things that are roasted. So that's why originally I was thinking roast or roasted or something like that, and all those are taken. So we went with burnt um, because it just kind of called to mind. I don't know if you've ever seen a bourbon barrel being made. It's insane. The bourbon barrel goes on with no heads on it, and this huge flame just gets torched up through the center of it. I've so. seen that. It's pretty cool. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So. I actually really wanted to ask you about this because there's probably a reason one other person has even done this because uh, there's a huge risk uh, putting a whole barrel stave. Steam cleaned it, but there's a lot of things that love to live in wood, right? Oh, yeah. And I, I would think that really works for you because whatever was in that wood was probably scared of everything else that's living <laughs> here already. It came in the building and was like, oh, God. <laughs> Look at all these other bugs that are going to be bigger than me. Um, no, we, this was a risky beer. I, I actually neglect or refrained from talking about this beer with anybody until I knew it tasted okay. Because this is one of those, this is one of those times where because we're a small business and my wife and I own it, we don't have a board of, you know, of partners on this we could take a risk knowing that we very well might throw it down the drain um and so we took that risk and it and it ended up turning out and then we were able to to talk about it and that's actually why we blended the cold brew coffee and the cacao nib tea back in on the on the second end because i didn't want to spend all that money on chocolate and coffee and then put it and then you know put it on the hot side and then have the beer not turn out because of the staves. So I gave him a really nice long steam bath. Like we have a steamer in here that we use to sanitize barrels. And um, threw it in there. And then as soon as we could, as soon as fermentation was stable, we pulled it off the staves and got it into another tank. Um, so, you know, just to limit that contact time. Um, but what's cool is you guys can probably taste. There's a really nice milk chocolatey flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a oh, great yeah. big uh, chocolate. fruity coffee flavor. Mm-hmm. I actually get a lot of like chocolate covered cherry in this yeah. beer, and the base beer had that. Like I actually considered instead of doing chocolate and coffee, putting uh, cherry juice in it. Wow! Because it had so much cherry flavor already. I'm like, oh well, let's just throw more cherry on it. Uh, but we ended up changing directions and and deciding on the. Our original so, plan. Where do you think that came from? What uh, malts did you use in this beer? Um, I, honestly, I, it, I think it was the yeast, yeast drive. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I fermented it a little bit warmer because I wanted it to go quicker. And if there's some esters that could come from the, the yeast, I was cool with that. Um, but I don't know. I, it, it's a mystery to me. <laughs> um, but what's cool is... After we added the chocolate and the coffee, the, they enhanced that cherry flavor to me. Um, the um, the 
coffee we picked was a really bright coffee. The cacao nibs that we picked um, were super milk chocolatey, so they kind of have a sweet, like softer taste rather than like an aggressive, like dark. Um, so yeah, it all, it all melded together to be a, a really cool product that we're really happy about. But we do recommend people keep it cold and drink it now. So if any of your listeners have this, drink it. It's got cold brew coffee in it. You wouldn't let cold brew coffee sit warm. You're going to keep that in your fridge. Um, that's what I recommend doing with this. So do, do you just... And actually, uh, <clears throat> we talk about the secondary market quite a bit. Sure. And uh, I've seen, you know, I've seen this beer and all of your beers talked about on the uh, the beer trading sites, okay. and the beer trading Facebook uh, pages and that sort of thing. And uh, this one specifically has come up as far as uh, people know stouts and they tend to save them for quite a while. Yep. But, uh, you know, somebody was on there just the other day asking, should I drink this now? You know, this beer is calling to me. I want to open it. And people are like, do it, do it. Because they've heard you talk about it and they've heard you say, keep it cold, drink it now. Mm -hmm. And that's also, it's a phrase that's on your labeling. Yep. And they talked about how uh, you may be expanding um, that phrase into more of your labeling for the beers that are, you know... Uh, that don't that, age as well. Yeah, exactly. For the beers no. that don't age well. And actually, yeah, I... I, I think I might even remember who, because I told that to maybe like one or two people last release. Um, so I think I might even remember who, who would have been the person to bring that up. But no, we, we put that on the label because we mostly make, I mean, our, our, our hashtag that we go with is drink slow beer. You know, it's all bottle yeah. conditioned. It can age for years. That uh, You know, bottle conditioning creates an oxygen-free environment because that conditioning needs the oxygen that's in the bottle and in the solution to carbonate and to do that secondary fermentation. So that's why bottle conditioned beers are so fantastic and they last for a long time. Um, it's because it's an oxygen-free environment. Most of our beers are that. And so people are used to seeing our products and be like, oh, I'll tuck it away. Let's let it develop. And so it's an education thing for me. This whole business is so much about education for me. I, we do things so differently, both in how we sell it and the products that we make, that we spend a lot of time trying to talk about why we do the things that we do, why our products are different, why they cost what they do, how they're going to keep all those things. And so we decided with, with this one and now on all of our IPAs going forward, keep cold, drink fresh. Because that's when they're best. Like I'm releasing the beer because it's ready. And you can drink all of our beers. Like they don't need age. I already did all of the hard waiting. You guys don't have to. You know, like don't why why put yourself through that torture? Drink it now. It's it's ready. But if you're someone who likes to buy a couple and see how they age, most of our beers do that really really well. Um, but the ones that don't, you know, I want to make sure people are aware of that. And so we're absolutely from now going forward going to start putting that on our bottles. In fact, uh, the Vale Brewing in Richmond. Like um, one of our um, one of our customers, regular customers, um, came in and brought me a bottle or a can of one of their IPAs, and on their can it says, "Keep cold, drink today." <laughs> like even more drought, you know. And I liked that. I was like, you know, the cult the the culture of beer. There's a lot of people who are just getting into beer, you know, and they don't necessarily. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, and so I could look at a product like that. No, I should drink it. But the average person probably doesn't. The, the culture is out there. And it's like, hey, keep your stouts. Put them under your, under your basement or whatever. So, yeah, we want to just educate people on, on how you should consume our products as best we can. Make sure it's the best experience for them, really. Yeah, for me, there's a little bit of sweet sadness in this. So especially with the, your style and your model, this is a fantastic beer. Uh, I would love to have it for months and months and months from now. Mm -hmm. But you have to drink it now. And then you know it's gone. Yes. You're not going to have it again. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know that I'll make this beer again. Um, <laughs> Boo. Yeah, I know. I know. But it's so scary. Yeah. Oh, it's so scary. Dude, I thought you were crazy when I heard this. I, I am <laughs> a little crazy. To be honest with you, like, I can't believe that we did this. Um, but you got to be a little crazy to start a brewery. <laughs> um, but no, it's, that's, I, I like it so much. My wife is like, I really like this beer. I'm like, I know. You know, with that, like. <laughs> But we'll probably never make it again. Yeah. And she's like, "Are you sure?" And I was like, "I don't, I don't know." Because, all right, we're trying to grow, right? So next time, I'd want to make a bigger batch. And it's like, not, you know, we're just constantly opening ourselves up to risk every yeah. time we would dabble in this again. That I don't know. This is what I called my first gimmick beer. Because well, you I mean, pulled it off. Throwing yeah. a bourbon barrel in a fermenter is yeah. a gimmick, yeah. you know. Yeah. But it was just something it I had to do. I saw it online. I was like, I must try that. <laughs> I think it turned out pretty well. No, I think it, it turned out fantastic. Like we're we're so happy with it, and maybe we'll risk it again. And, and what we may even do is figure out a way to kind of 
pasteurize the barrels a little bit more, like get them even hotter um, without stripping the flavor. And, and, and that's something that I'm willing to explore. Um, but it's not going to, I can't promise it's going to be anytime soon. Okay. So for all our listeners, uh, start the, uh, the write-in campaign now. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, great. Here it comes. <laughs> but no, you only get about five emails. Okay. So no, <laughs> but know that Kyle has a heck of a lot more awesome beers coming along. Right? Absolutely. No, the beers that are coming out this month, I'm, I'm ecstatic, uh, to release. They're, they're all tasting fantastic. I mean, you guys had Beer Divin. I mean, that's that's just such a neat product as a journey to go on and we're finally ready to sell it like i'm, I'm just very excited about it so would you talk about the other beers that you're having come out yeah so the other beers um uh, the super fruited one i kind of mentioned a yep. second ago uh it's called plumpy <laughs> and uh this is a new series that we're going to do so in addition to our ipas we're going to try to do these plumpy beers um hopefully every release or every other release depending on our schedule um but what they're going to be is uh what, what we designed them to be is a beer with a really big full mouthfeel and a ton of fruit um and so that they and there's lactose in there so it's like an adult smoothie so it's kettle soured so it's got that nice tartness that we created and then it's got five pounds per barrel of lactose in it and then it's got like i said about a pound per barrel of per gallon of fruit wow so this first one is blackberry raspberry um and we're gonna just basically we're gonna uh i don't know if you guys saw on my instagram or facebook feeds that white beer i posted i did that was the base beer okay for this um and uh so it's really cool because now it looks like this this oh, makes are for, we gonna get a sneak peek this oh. makes for great radio oh, look at yeah. that. sorry everybody it's purple purple <laughs> yep i think it's purple um, so it's plump yeah. Um, but that's yeah, so that's that's our new product that we, we've never done, but we're going to make it a series. We're we're excited about experimenting. We've seen some really some breweries that I really respect that are pushing boundaries and doing cool Didn't stuff. Vale do something similar to this. They call theirs Tasties. Yes. Um, there's another uh, brewery that calls theirs uh, Slurpy. I think there's another one that you know they all kind of <laughs> have these funny names, and so we just dove all right into just like what everybody's doing. We're just like going along with it because <laughs> I love those trends. I think that. Or Anytime. fads. Right? <laughs> it's both. You know, but New England IPA was a fad that turned into a real thing now. It's a, it's a category in yeah, the BDC. Well, it just it, happened this past week. Exactly. Yeah. As you said, there's a traditional way to make New England IPAs now. Now there is. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, super fruited beers are going to be a thing. You know, I don't know that it'll, it'll get to the point. Super fruited lactose beers or kettle sour, I don't think that's going to get a category. <laughs> um, but for, for me, what I love creativity and I love pushing boundaries and... Uh, I kind of have like ADV for beer. That's why I've released 20 different brands so far is because I just like to do new things and try new things. And so when I saw this happening, I'm like, I, I have to do that. I must try it. Um, so that's that's one. And then the, the other beer, um, and actually uh, I'm, I'm very excited about it, is we're bringing back Cashmere Sweater, uh, which is our best-selling, highest-rated beer that we've ever made. Oh, breaking news. Breaking, breaking news. news. Yeah. Well, aside from your, you know, beer releases, what you have in the regular schedule, any other events that you had? I know you recently just had a bottle share for uh, uh, charities. Yeah. Uh, anything else coming up in 2018? Yeah. So we we decided that rather than try to dive into more taproom hours, we're going to keep at least for, for through this first year, we're going to keep our release model and then focus on be event driven, focus on events and try to do cool things. So the bottle share for charity was great because we really just wanted to start to give back. Um, but we need to, you know, put all our money back into beer right now. Um, and so we're like, how can we put money into the community as well? And we actually donated to a charity, which um, is really important to one of our VIP members, uh, Autism Speaks. So it was awesome. We had about 30 people in here. Everyone brought awesome beers, and we just had a great time and raised a lot of money for charity. Um, coming up in, I think it's May, we've got a comedy night here. Um, in April, we've got a we're gonna go to Meraki on Second Street. We've got a pop up beer dinner thing. No reservations required. Just come in and eat their amazing food and drink some of our beers. Um, so we're gonna we're trying to focus on more of the event type stuff. Pop up things here and there. Bayview Gallery Night. You know, we, we try to participate in the community events as much as we can, and then um, you know host host a couple of events here and there that are in between our releases to give those people who maybe a Saturday from 11 to 7 is just a really crappy time for them to come you know they're busy or they travel or whatever and so we wanted to try to have other ways for people to come in here and try it 
um, aside from our normal releases. And so we're trying to sprinkle those in as much as we can. Well, it sounds like uh, beyond just a a beautiful tap room and some amazing beers, uh, you guys have a lot of events for uh, people to come check out. Um, We heartily recommend this place. 1840 Brewing is doing some really, really cool experimental stuff. And uh, we couldn't be happier that uh, you invite us in today. So thank you again, Kyle. Yeah, well, it was so great that we ran into each other at Bernhardt's. And uh, thanks to social media, recognized one another. <laughs> and, uh, and said, let's do this. No, I love it. I, um, social it's, media it's, is not for stalking anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it stalking. is. It's that, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, th- I think when we first met, Kyle said, I, I, I think I know you from the Internet. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but I don't know at what corner of the Internet you're facing exists in my brain it's there so Alex said what have you been looking at yeah I don't want to know about that corner but no it's uh, it's great and we uh, for those of you who are listening and you've never heard of us or any of that it's because you're not on Facebook enough Um, that's where we do 100% of our marketing is on social media Facebook Instagram Twitter if you want to know what we're doing that's where you find it out Uh, I don't do print advertising i don't do radio you know we, we just we reach out through social media and word of mouth and um because it's it's really just about the community and the grassroots connection that's what's super important to us and so um if you want to find out about what we're doing that's how you can do it perfect well it looks like we are uh, we are out of beer for the moment uh we will definitely be back here at 1840 for the next release Look forward to very it. excited but for me for alec for andy jesus i'm jim i'm kyle that's going to do it for us, and uh, thank you for joining us. This has been another solid non-fail production.